All right, good morning, everyone. And uh, 100% every, every ounce of that story is true. Um, that, that happened, that, uh, that Pastor Andy, uh, Andy brought up. So I'm going to figure this out. You know, and, I, and, and one of the things I'll tell you, and this is probably not a good thing to say as a student pastor, being that, uh, being that you know, I, I preach to teens or I talk to teens or I walk with teens um, in their lifestyle, is that, you know, growing up, um, I didn't learn to study until I was in college. And even then, it still was like the all-nighter type things that I would do all the time. So uh, it wasn't until I went to seminary is when I started understanding there's a plan and process in place um, that has to take place. And so that's when I started planning and, and processing and kind of doing that. And then I learned that once you start the vocational status of being a pastor, that all goes out the window sometimes. And especially yesterday, I found that out as well. Um, and even last week when I was sick that whole week and, and wasn't able to prepare. So if there was anything that God was teaching me, he's like, hey, man, if there's any word of the Bible that can really be true, it's in season and out of season for sure. So, um, so I hope, uh, so bear with me. Um, this this morning, um, but you know God has put a word um, on my heart, and God has put a word on my heart for um, for our students as well, and they've they've been through this before. So it's like a it's like two sermons that I put together from a Wednesday night service that we did. So hopefully uh, you guys will enjoy it too. And and then just to reiterate uh, that whole concept of of man of, of that that game yesterday that was crazy, right? That was crazy, and so in, in just like because I always like to do, I always like to put a little, a little bit of, of not only youth culture, but also culture into, into, God, you know, into God's Word or help us see where, where, where this can be applied to. And so we're going to look at two miracles here in Mark 5. One is going to be an, an, issue, with a, an issue with the girl uh, with blood, and then there's also going to be another miracle that we're going to look at where actually Jesus brings someone else to life who was, who was a, a synagogue leader's, a synagogue leader's uh, daughter. And then looking at this, um, you know, I kind of thought about what was going on yesterday, even with the games. You know, we see yesterday, we see, what, 16 years before uh, Tennessee, uh, before Tennessee had won 15. Was it 15 or 16? 16, right? Absolutely. So craziness. And then you see, when I'm looking at that, I'm looking at all the, all the students just bum-rushing the field. They're taking down the goalposts. They're taking the, the goalposts down. They're throwing it in the river. I don't know if that happened. They said the last time that it did, it happened as well. And then... And even and then yesterday, a celebration even in, in my heart too was uh, was the Astros won against the Mariners that, that now they're moving on to the next next portion as well. So that was an 18 inning game, 18 innings, man. And so in looking at these two looking at these two victories, I think the most important thing that they're doing is celebrating the victory. And then when we see in the when we see these two miracles as well, we're going to see how these two miracles happen, but they're totally different. You see one where everyone wants to be on the field. Everyone wants to be around Jesus. And we see another one where only a few people, and if you've ever been to an 18-inning baseball game or actually have seen one, you'll notice that the crowd gets a little thin around inning 16, 17. And so it made me think specifically of this word, and that, that just came to me this morning too. It made me think specifically of how sometimes we want to be so close and we want to be all in the mix. We want to have that FOMO, the fear of missing out, for some of us who don't know what that means. And then we also, where Jesus just has a few people that he wants to see this miracle, and he wants it to be for them because he knows the, the, he knows the shepherding that needs to take place too. 
So if you can, let's open up your Bibles. If not, you can follow along on the screen. And then uh, Andy did happen to give me his handy-dandy Andy notebook today, so uh, I do have that. I won't have the scripture on it on the side, on the side um, but I will, be able to, um, I will be able to write some of, your, some of your thoughts down, too. So let's go ahead and dive into scripture real quick, shall we? <clears throat> um, now, it says uh, in, in Mark, it's going to start off Mark 5, 21, I'm going to go with the 43. When Jesus had crossed again in a boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came up, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He asked him urgently, my little daughter is near death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be healed and live. Jesus went with him and a large crowd followed and pressed around him. Now a woman, now a woman was there who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for 12 years. She had endured a great deal under care of many doctors and had spent all that she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she kept saying, if only I touch his clothes, I will be healed. At once the bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Jesus knew at once that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing against you, and you say, who touched me? But he looked around to see who had done it. Then the woman, with fear and trembling, knowing, that had, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was, speaking, while he was still speaking, people came from the synagogue leader's house, saying, Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher any longer? But Jesus, paying no attention to what was said, told the synagogue leader, Do not be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the synagogue leader, where he saw noisy confusion and people weeping and wailing loudly. When he entered, he said to them, Why are you distressed and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. And they began making fun of him. But he forced them all outside, and he took the child's father and mother and his own companions and went into the room where the child was. Then gently taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. The girl got up and once, at once and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. They were completely astonished at this. He strictly ordered that no one should know about this, and told them to give her something to eat. All right, let us pray. God, we come to you today. As we read this scripture, as we dissect it together, I'm asking that the Holy Spirit move in every aspect of that, God. That as we walk step by step, that we see the words, and we be encouraged by your word, so that we can be moved in this, so that we can understand and recognize you in Scripture and understand how to respond of you in that as well. I'm asking all this be done in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
All right, now with that said, as we're looking in Scripture here, just like we do every week, we kind of open it up to you. You're allowed to, you know, we also ask, what does this say about God and what does this say about humanity? Now, last week, as we were looking at some of the miracles, as we were looking at the miracle last week, too, of Lazarus, I opened it up to the students first. This time, we're going to open it up to everybody and just, just have everybody just have a big party with it, too. But students, that don't mean that y'all can just step back, all right? I want y'all to be able to, to dissect these truths as well. So feel free to hit me up with some truths, and then we'll, we'll look at it. We'll look at Scripture together, guys. And girls. What does it say about God? What does it say about humanity? God's power is all-inspiring. What portion of that, Chris, made you, made you kind of look at that, or what, what verse line into it? Just all of it? Right. Right, absolutely. You see, in the fact that Jesus, the fact that Jesus's power is all inspiring, or just God's power is all inspiring, is the simple fact to know exactly that what Jesus does has nothing to do with 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 what we can plan and how we can progress and how we can develop a process with all of that. It has everything to do with what he does. And it inspires, and it, ins- and it can not only inspire, whether it's inspiring just a close-knit of people that he did with Jairus' daughter, or whether it's inspiring all the people around him as well. And not only that, but even when we look at the, even when we look at the scripture here um, with, the, with the woman who had the issue with blood, there's a couple things that I, that, I like to, that I like to look at, and we as a student ministry looked at it as well. Now, there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhage for 12 years, and she had endured a great deal under care of many doctors. So it wasn't the fact that she was, she was just going to one doctor. She went to many doctors. And not only that, but she invested a lot of her money in order to do that because we, find, we know that because it says in 26 that she endured a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had. So it wasn't that she was just saying, oh, I'm never going to get well and just giving up. No, she was wanting to figure out what was going on with her. She was wanting to get the care that was needed in order for her to figure out, okay, what's happening? So we know that she was poor. We know that she was probably ostracized because of this situation. And not only that, but she was also a woman that wasn't able to have kids because of that situation as well. So we know how, how, how bad she felt, but then the inspiration comes as she just wants to just, just touch the cloak of Jesus. And then we see in the other portion of it too, where there's inspiration. This is a synagogue leader. This is the person who actually is supposed to be in charge, in charge of the church. And the first thing he does is bow down to Jesus when he's coming up to him. And he lays it, he lays it all, all on the line. He humbles himself in doing that. Knowing that people are watching, knowing that there's other prophets, there's other Pharisees around that are probably going to ostracize him as well. He had a lot to lose, but yet he did that because that's how powerful God is. And that's the fact that God's power, that's how powerful it is. And that's how also how he inspires us. 
to humble ourselves. He inspires us to break those barriers that the woman did so that we can see him work and we can see what he can do as well. Good, good truth. Awesome. Excellent. What else? We always have hope in Jesus. All right, so we always have hope in Jesus. Um, absolutely, in looking at the hope that this woman had, looking at the hope that Jairus uh, had to, for his daughter as well, which we understand that there's that, there's that inspiration that takes place too, but then there's that hope, right? There's that hope that, that he will do as, do as he has done in the past because this is about miracle 15. If you're looking at the chronological portion of this, this is miracle 14 and 15. So he's already performed up to 13 miracles before this, and people are starting to talk. People are starting to gain that. Back in Lazarus, back when we were looking at Lazarus, that was already at miracle, I think, 20 or 25. So people already knew what we talked about last week. People already knew what was going on. And, and, and when we look at this, we see the hope that's there. We see how people are garnering on this hope and understanding, okay, we're starting to figure out that this, this man isn't here just for himself, but that he's here for us. And it's not, and, and I, I want to I explain this too, and it's not the fact that Jesus is entertaining us with his miracles because that's not what he's doing. He's wanting to heal us with them. He's wanting people to, to understand who he is, that he's, that he's come to serve He's come to serve, and he, doesn't, he didn't necessarily come to serve us, but he also came to be served as well. And in looking at this, he knows exactly what we need in, those, in, those, in that time. He's not trying to say, hey, everybody, look at me. This is who I am. But he's letting people know that he's the son of God and that everything that he has is because of that not because of what he is doing to garner all this attention to himself, but to know that he is the Son of God and that he wants us to choose him. He doesn't need us to choose him because he's God, but he wants us to choose him. He wants us to follow him. He wants us to obey him. He wants us to walk in him because he's also walking with us as well. There's that, there's that hope there. There's that hope in seeing it. There's that hope in identifying that. What else? There's nothing too intimate. I'll get you, Cambry, just a minute, okay? Nothing too intimate that Jesus won't step into. So where did you get that from? Right. So, yeah, absolutely. So, the intimate concept is that you know that that there's 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 something that probably was embarrassing with this woman. There probably was someone. There probably was something there that she didn't want anyone else to understand, and he didn't call it out. 
in a sense. He just understood he had that much respect for this woman. He had that much, uh, he had that much respect for that as well. And then also we understand that there's, there's, a, there's a sickness going on with Jairus' daughter, and he looks at it, and he sees it. And what he does is he, and he steps into that situation. He steps into that home. He steps into it with family members. And he says, hey, look, you know, your, your, your daughter is asleep. Even when, people are, even when people automatically turn before, because if we look in the scripture here, we find out and we see that um, it says at 39, when he entered, he said to them, why are you distressed and weeping? The child is not dead but asleep. And they began making fun of him. They began to make fun of Jesus. They went from wailing, from, from crying, from doing all of this to making fun of Jesus because of what he said. But yet Jesus still did what he was supposed to do in that point in time. He still showed his love for that daughter. He still showed his care. And not only that, but the whole time he was walking with Jairus through this, listening to him, talking with him, possibly even weeping with him as well in this matter. And to know that we serve a God that looks at the intimacy of what's going on, the intimacy of, 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 of what's happening and has that much and then also respects that matter as well. And lets a miracle show within that point in, time, point in time as well. Because sometimes what we do is we will hold all of our things inside. We will hold all the things that we're dealing with inside. Because people don't need to know, they don't need to know all of our business is what we say sometimes. But you see, Jesus understands and he knows exactly what is going on. So that's why we give those things to him. That's why we give our, that's why Jairus gave his daughter to him and said, hey, I need you to heal her. That's why this woman gave this issue to him and understood that. And that's the beauty of community and where we're at right now. Is because we need to walk with you. We want to walk with you. We want to pray with you. We want to pray God's healing in that matter, if that's what he wants. We want to pray for life if that's what he wants. But ultimately, we understand that he knows the truth. He knows those inner workings, those inner portions of our heart as well. Awesome, good. Go ahead, Cambry. We only seek out, we only seek out Jesus when we are desperate. So why would you say that if that's okay for me to ask that, Cambry? Mm-hmm. Right. Right, so in listening to this and listening to what Cambria was saying here, one of our students, so she's saying that, there was, that, that this woman was seeking out all of these different doctors. She was seeking out everything. She was investing a lot. So she was desperate. Um, and a lot of times humanity will only seek out Jesus when we're desperate. When the truth of the matter is, is that should be the first thing that we do is seek him out. Prayer should be the first thing that we go to. 
But yet, many times, what we do is we will go to the things that's more that we feel is more convenient, such as doctors, such as medicine. Now, I'm not saying that we should just not take any medicine. We should just we should just let let things happen and let things roll with it. But the truth of the matter is, is that how do we seek God when there's a problem that's that's coming up? Do we seek Him at all, or is He the last thing? Is prayer the last thing that we go to? Is seeking him the last thing that we go to? And in all actuality, if I can be honest, yes, absolutely. In my, in my case, when I think about Philippians 4.13, the, the night before a big old exam, whoo, let me tell you, I can, do all, I can do all things through God who strengthens me. <laughs> How many times have I prayed that before? In understanding and knowing that that's not the context of the verse that needs to, that needs to be displayed? But how are we seeking him first in these situations, in these areas of life? I know some of y'all were probably watching that kick yesterday saying, Jesus, if you just let Tennessee kick this football, I will go to church tomorrow. And, it's, you know, and in some situations, and so when we look at that, we also have to understand that there's a compromise that's going on. There's a compromise that's taking place. And you see, the more we compromise with Jesus, the more we're lifting ourselves up above him. And that's what shouldn't happen. The desperation that we have to worship him, the desperation to know that he can heal us, the desperation to know that he can make us alive should take place and we should go to him first. But you know what? Not every single one of us understand that he's our savior. That's why community is important. That's why we need, to, we need to also talk to people, understand who people are, learn about them, be friends with people who don't look like us or act like us so we can introduce the concept of who Jesus is to them so ultimately they can make the decision to follow him as well. And that's important. Because it's not about compromising our faith and what, we can, and what we can do in order to say, all right, Jesus, I, I, you heard me last night at that game. You heard me last night in that 18th inning when they finally hit that homer. Whew! It's not about that. It's about going to God first and understanding who he is first. Because I know some of us are here and we probably take these, take these situations for granted in that sense, in knowing that everything is perfect and fine. But how are we continuously going to go to him with every aspect of our life, with every decision that needs to be made, with every big decision that needs to be made? Good, good one, Cambry. What else? Anyone else? Go ahead, Ege. Humanity underestimates Jesus' knowledge and power. Humanity, I didn't even know you knew that word, Ege. Um, under, <laughs> I can't spell it, so, <laughs> estimates Jesus's. that's my son, so I can say that, so, knowledge and power. So why would you say that, Ege?
Right. So, so that's good. That's good. Awesome. Um, so in, in looking at this and looking at 27 is what he's referring to here, or 26 here. She, or, uh, yeah, 27. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she kept saying, if only I touch his clothes, I will be healed. At once the bleeding stopped and she felt her body and she was healed of her disease. Now we see the response here with, um, with Jesus when he says in 30, who touched my clothes? In 31, go, and going on in 31, he says, the disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing against you and you say, who touched me? But he looked around to see who had done it. Then the woman, with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. You see, the fact that humanity underestimates Jesus' knowledge and power, we do that. right? And we see that with Cambridge saying that as well. With the, the last thing we'll do is go to Jesus in prayer. The last thing we'll do is ask for prayer sometimes. And then we understand that this is Jesus. He's all-knowing. He's powerful. As everyone, as everyone is there sitting here going, hey, well, wait a minute, Jesus. They're questioning Jesus' power. They're questioning who Jesus is. Yeah, they're following him. They're all around him. They're all in celebration. They are all picking up the goalposts. They are all around him the whole time in that proximity. They're all wanting to be around him. And then they're like, Jesus, you know, we're all touching you. We're all here. But there is one. But there is one who just needed to touch his cloak, who just needed to get there. And for them to question the fact of, you don't know what you're talking about, Jesus, shows how much humanity that we underestimate Jesus' knowledge and power. And how we would rather go to things as opposed to come to him sometimes. We would rather say, this works, we would rather say, but without saying it, we do that sometimes too, this works a lot better than Jesus. We don't act like that. We wouldn't dare say it in church. But sometimes, that's the demeanor that we give off is that there are things better. And so that's what I said too, that's what I said before, when we compromise with Jesus, we're saying, hey man, we are so much better than you. And I know that's kind of bad to say, it's kind of horrible, it's kind of ugly to say in that sense, but that's how we act sometimes. This is why it's important for us to dig in his word, to understand who he is, and understand who he is by just, and then being in community with people as well. So we can have that accountability of, hey, look, I don't have it all together because that's totally true. If I can be honest with you right now, I don't have it all together. I don't. I started this at 4 o'clock yesterday. It was hard. Um, <laughs> I don't have all the answers, but let's work together to figure that out and try to find out some of those answers if that's the case. Let me pray with you. Let me walk with you. And what an honor it is for brothers and sisters to walk alongside people who are hurting, walk alongside people who have disease, walk alongside people to know that we are going to lift them up in those manners. How are we doing that today? What is happening in our lifestyle right now that we are seeking people out for him as opposed to for ourselves? 
How are we reaching out to that neighbor that we don't know what they believe, we don't know how they believe, and we don't really, really have that conversation with them? How are we reaching out to those people who, who we know are having issues right now? What are we doing to walk with them? And at the same time, if you are that person that is having those issues, that is, having the, that is in that situation that's hard, how are you walking to Jesus? How are you going to Jesus? And I will tell you that if there is anything that is necessary, if there is anything that is needed, it's Jesus in those matters. Because we see this woman that had nothing, that had no money, that was ostracized by society, who did whatever she could to break those barriers and go and speak. Because even then, and, and even culturally, at that point in time, just to put some, some background in this, you couldn't, woman, a woman couldn't necessarily talk to a man. And for him to speak and say something out loud and for her to kind of come up knowing that she's ostracized, knowing that, knowing that she's poor, knowing where, you know, where she feels or where her place is in society. And for her, she broke all sorts of barriers just talking to Jesus. And at the same time, and looking at Jairus' daughter and looking at Jairus, the same thing. He was a synagogue leader. He was a pastor. He was a synagogue leader who had all these traditions, all these things set up in society on how he wanted to do things, on how things were supposed to happen. And he fell down at his feet before Jesus, knowing that, it, knowing that something can happen to him, knowing that he would probably lose his job, and then also going in and seeing a community of people wailing and wailing in the community of people who probably looked to him to say, hey, look, what, are, what do we need to do now? What do we need to do for these traditions to take place? Because he was a synagogue leader once again. And for that to happen, and for him to see who Jesus really is, and for those people to see who Jesus really is. You see, sometimes we underestimate that power. And we would probably, and then one of the coolest things that I, that I love that Andy says, says is that we, when we look at Scripture, we need to put ourselves in the worst possible place of, of who that person is in that story right now, and that's, that's us. And I think about it. And those people who are wailing and those people who are then making fun of Jesus, that's probably me. Probably me saying, hey, hey, that can't happen. That's not going to happen. That was probably me yesterday at 4.30 when I was like, I don't know if I can come up with a sermon in, in eight, eight hours or less. Um, that was probably me. But knowing that we can go to God knowing that Jesus has it all together, and knowing that Jesus is the one in charge of this, and I'm just here putting, just here facilitating it, that's it. That's the power that Jesus has. That's the power that we underestimate. That's the power that we would sometimes say, hey, Jesus, step out of the way because I think I got this. That's the power that we need to realize and understand that Jesus has for each and every one of us to be obedient to. Good, what else? Go ahead. Our faith. Activates. 
God's power. All right. Sorry about that. Um, that looks, man, I could be a doctor here. Too bad. Um, all right. So, yes, our faith activates God's power. We see the faith, uh, we see the faith in, Jira, in Jairus. Uh, Jairus, when he came and saw who Jesus is, he fell at his feet. He understood who Jesus was. Uh, he, he understood what was going on. So that's the faith that he had there. Uh, but then also we see that Jesus even, uh, even calls that out too when he sees uh, in 40, and they began making, well, in 41. Then gently taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kuhum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. The girl got up once and began to walk around 12 years. They were completely astonished at this. He strictly ordered that no one should know about this and told them to give her something to eat. So he's looking, so when Jesus is looking at this, he's seeing the faith that the people had to know who he is. Because what the synagogue leader could have done is he could have said, no, 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 wait, 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 Jesus, if you're going to perform this miracle, don't you think that everyone needs to see this? Don't you think that you need to perform this so you can shut everyone up who is talking about you and making fun of you, who's saying, man, Jesus, that's cap. For those of y'all who don't know what cap means, that means lie um, in this generation today. I know back then when you said cap, it meant that you're going to shoot somebody, but now it means lie. So when people say you're capping, that's what it means. Um, but yeah, so that's exactly what they're that's exactly what they're saying. That's exactly what's what's uh, what's happening is that these people are twisting it around. They're they're saying they're they're making they're making fun of Jesus. But you see, the synagogue leader could have easily jumped in and said, "Let's make all these people eat their words." But it was the faith that he had that said, "Hey, look, no, no, no. Just let me get a few people in here and let's perform this miracle." We don't need to make a big. We don't need to make a big, a big spectacle of this miracle. We don't need to do this now. Granted, in other situations, he did, and I think it was specific for people, of for people because he cared about who they were. He cared about what they did, and he also wanted them, wanted that to be intimate to them that we talked about as well. And then we see the faith that she has, that the woman had, to just simply reach for Jesus. And you see, when I think about how our faith activates God's power, man, that's strong. Because when we come to know who Jesus is, when we make that decision to say, I am no longer in charge of my life, it is you, God, who is in charge of my life. And I want to be obedient to you. And the faith that we have to put forth and change our life for the better. To make ourselves available to him so that he utilizes us the way he wants to. So that way we are even to look at the faith of both of these people who are in different, in different areas of life right now. One who's ostracized and is just, is just a, uh, an alien of society, and one who is very highly, highly mannered and looked at. And to know that they're going in these situations, and they have to have the faith, the faith that can make them ostracized even more, the faith that can have people looking at them saying, what are you thinking? You're weird. 
the faith that can possibly even get them killed. But yet they choose to still be obedient to him. And it activates God's power because he sees that trust. He sees that honor. And even, and to be totally honest with you, even in these situations where he's not, he's not thinking and he's not, where, 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 where you know, these people aren't even thinking like that, Jesus still, still can do what he wants to do because he's in charge of it all anyways. So it's not just that faith that's being, that's being activated by people, but he gets moved by that faith as well. He, gets, he, he loves the fact that, it's, that he's being showed honor in that. And not because it's swelling him up, not because it's saying, hey, this is who I am, I'm Jesus, it's because he sees how we are and how we're being obedient. But Jesus is going to heal, he's going to do things no matter what. And sometimes it can move us to make those decisions. Go ahead. Yes. God is ultimately compassionate towards us. Yeah, go ahead. Yes. Yes. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, these are good, man. That's awesome. Love this. Love this. Oh, all right. So we see, so, um, so we know that God is ultimately compassionate towards us. Jesus is willing to help when asked, and Jesus recognizes the humility. Because I think through all of this, one of the things that we talked about, and this was even my application point, is that when God calls us to believe, these are the steps that takes place, is that we understand that he's a compassionate God. We understand that he loves us. We understand that he cares for us. But also, we have to ask. How are we asking for Jesus to help us? Are we asking it knowing that we're going to compromise? Are we asking in that manner? But also, seeing Jesus, or also, what's the action that takes place in that? Are we reaching for him? Are we saying, no, Jesus, come to me? You need to come meet me where I'm at. But then Jesus also recognizes that humility. I'm saying, I have nothing I'm ostracized. 
I just need to touch your garment. I have everything. I have followers. I have many likes. I'm the most popular person in the synagogue right now. And I am going to just give it all up in recognizing what you can do. How are we being obedient in that manner? And just wrapping it up with some application here, I'm just going to ask two questions. And when we look at this, uh, when we look at the woman and what was happening there, one question I want to ask is, how am I breaking barriers to get close to Jesus? How am I, or am I breaking barriers to get close to Jesus? And also, am I humbling who I am before Jesus? You see, the woman broke barriers. She was a woman. She was surrounding herself with many people who were who were wanting to see the hype of who Jesus was. And all she wanted to do was reach and touch him. There was many things that were going on. She was poor. She was barren. She was, she was ostracized, like I said before, like I've said many times. And all she wanted was to be healed, and she wanted to just reach out and touch him. And I love what Jesus says at, at the end after that. Is he, says, uh, he says to her, he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Understand what happened. Be mindful of what happened. Appreciate what was done. And then also, another question for application is, am I humbling who I am before Jesus? Church family, there are many things that we have to give up in order to follow him. Let's have our hands open and let's stop clinging on the things that need to happen or that need to take place or that need to, that need to take place and, and need to need to happen in order for us to fully dive into this, this lifestyle of Christianity. Let's understand that. Because I know that there are people right now here that are holding on to all this stuff that we have, that we gained, that is a part of us, that we've made a part of us. And let's wipe that away to follow Jesus to understand who he is, to walk in him, to celebrate the community of what he's made. And there's some of us that need to break those barriers because society will be telling you and will possibly, or has told you, this is who you are to society. You don't have a boyfriend or girlfriend. You don't have a companion. You're lonely. You're this, you're that. Break those barriers and go to Jesus. 
You're young, in some instances, they would say that. Break that barrier and go to Jesus. And know that he's called you, just like we said last week, to believe. He calls us to believe in him. He calls us to go to him. There's two more questions I want to ask that they're not up there. Um, But is that how do we recognize who Jesus is? And how do we respond to Jesus? How do we recognize who Jesus is? Do we simply just recognize Jesus as a teacher? Because even in the synagogue leader's house, in 35, we see that, we, we see that he says, why, he says, your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher any longer? Do we recognize him as just a teacher or is he the Lord of our life? And are we going to respond in this same manner and say, Jesus? Are we going to respond with Jesus? That's who I need. That's who I want. That's who's necessary for this lifestyle. I challenge you, church family, in that manner. How are we humbling ourselves? Am I humbling who I am? And how do I break barriers? How am I breaking barriers to get to Jesus? Now, at this point in time, we're going to have some, we're going to have a, a response time, and I want you to think about that. I want you to think about how are you living for him? How do you love him? And how are you be obedient and following him? And if I could say anything and everything, it's this. Don't wait for that perfect time of when you need to say yes. Because in all honesty, as part of my testimony, and I don't know if I've shared this with y'all before, is that coming to Jesus, for me, looked a lot different. It wasn't some big revival. It wasn't some church. It wasn't some youth retreat because I didn't have that growing up. It was at Papa's Seafood Restaurant on I-10 East, and I was a server. And there was someone who shared the gospel with me at my table within 45 minutes. And within that 45 minutes, I said yes to Jesus. Didn't know what took place because I had no clue. But I knew my heart grew. I knew that I was loved by God. And I knew that there was some, there was some, some demons that, that I had to deal with in a sense and that the, the things that were happening were shameful. but I knew that that was all given to God at that point in time. It wasn't all the things were in place for me to accept him. And that was the thing, is that even before then, there was these inklings of understanding and knowing who Jesus was that people were sharing with me. But I would just always wipe them off. And it wasn't, and it was that morning that I woke up, started thinking about, stuff like that and how, man, like, you know, what, what would happen if I died? Like, what was going on or what would, what would take place? And if it wasn't for a 70-year-old man who was walking with a walker who had a horn on it, that was weird, <laughs> that sat down and I was, I was taking a drink order, he asked me, he said, 
you know, you don't have to be in a church to be saved. And I was like, saved? Like, what does this mean? Is there a superhero that's going to come into place? Like, what, what am I running from? And he explained it to me and gave me some biblical knowledge. 19 years old. I ran from God for 19 years. And it was this person that led me to the Lord. So no, when he performs miracles and when he does things, it's not going to look it's not going to look the same. It's not going to look the way we think about it all the time. It could just be in a situation that doesn't seem that doesn't seem privy to, to what, the, the, what Christianity is. It may just be that you are called to lead someone to Christ at a, at a restaurant. It may be that you are called to lead someone where you're at. Or it may be here today. Let's pray. God, to know the miracles that you perform. To know that we serve a God who loves us, who cares about us, who has compassion on us. So that we can seek you. We can reach for you no matter the situations at hand. God, I'm asking right now that we move to break barriers to who you are because we know that we need you, God. And that if there's people here that need to move to make that decision, that you move in their hearts today, God. Or that you start that process of having them ask questions, of having us walk with them, God. And may you humble us just as you humble the synagogue leader to follow you. That you give us the strength to break those barriers to say, I am no longer the world's, but I am yours, God, just like you did with the woman. But through all of that, may we take the faith, may we take the step of faith to know that you are the Father, that you are the Son, that you are the Holy Spirit, and may you lead us in that manner. And as we have people available to pray for, for us, may we take the steps knowing that you're in charge, knowing that you are going to lead us. I'm asking all this to be done in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.